We all want a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and a part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? I'm Robbie Kelman Baxter, and I have been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. In this podcast, my guests and I share the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for subscription stories, true tales from the trenches. Pricing is one of the trickiest parts of building a successful subscription model. You want to make the model simple, transparent, and easy to understand, but you also want it to be optimized for each customer, and of course, to maximize revenue and profitability. It can be tempting to offer multiple tiers for different use cases, as well as promotions and add-ons. Before you know it, you have a complex mess. Today's guest, Zhao He Li, is an expert on subscription pricing with experience at organizations including Apple, VMware, and now GitLab. In our conversation, we cover what Zhao He learned about pricing in the membership economy at three dramatically different organizations, how to balance the art and the science of good pricing strategy, and what Sun Tzu's The Art of War has to teach us about pricing innovation. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Robbie. I'm delighted to be here and to have the opportunity to discuss subscription pricing. Well, I wanted to start by just asking you if you could just summarize your pricing philosophy as it is today. Sure. My enterprise subscription SaaS pricing paradigm is value-based consumption pricing. It is grounded in my decade-long experience at both Apple and VMware. So let's start at the beginning. Your, your pricing career began at Apple. And although you were focused on international pricing of hardware and subscription was actually a pretty small part of what Apple was doing at that time, you've told me that your time working at Apple really provided you with some foundational ideas that very much impact how you think about subscription pricing today. Can you share a little bit about what you learned at Apple that is still useful in your work today at GitLab? Yeah, Apple embraces business-to-consumer and business-to-business hardware along with software and a cloud service. My tenure at Apple shaped my thinking on subscription pricing from strategy to operations. I'd like to share three things which have deeply influenced me with regard to pricing strategy. The first thing is a belief in the power of simplicity. There are many, many different use cases. The tendency is to create an offer tailored to each new use case, which will soon lead to a complicated pricing model as a company grows. Yeah. Rather, a simple, consistent pricing model is more effective so that customers won't hesitate to make a purchase decision because they don't understand which one is the best one for them and how much they're going to be charged as a total cost of ownership. Apple has frequently used a classic technique to price products. Good, better, best. Good is the lowest price offer for a product line to get people in the door. Better price is in the middle with more features. And the best is the most expensive, the highest end offer. By the way, when I focus on SaaS pricing and subscription pricing later on, the good, better, best pricing and the packaging model is still the most powerful one. So that's the number one, the power of simplicity. 
The second thing is to focus on a long-term customer relationship and to drive profitable business for the company. The top question in pricing is not about how much I'm going to charge my customers. Instead, it's about what value I deliver to them and what's their return over investment. A lot of Apple's customers use Apple products from generation to generation, including myself, because of the high return over investment. I used my iPhone and my MacBook throughout my day every single day, far more than any other item purchased with similar cost. And the pricing also plays a key role to support a sustainable and profitable business model. Only when the company is sustainable can the long-term relationship with the customer be viable. So that's the second thing I learned from my Apple experience. The third thing is to fully understand the competition, but never to simply follow or mirror them. Your competitor's pricing should not be taken as your benchmark. You should be confident that you have the capability to do a better job there to be the innovator and the leader in pricing. So those are the three key things I learned from my Apple time, which have been super powerful for subscription pricing and assess pricing later on. You said that so beautifully. I mean, simplicity, customer relationships, and make your own path are three really important things that I hope people take away from our conversation. And what's fascinating to me is that the organizations where you've worked, they're good-sized companies. It's very tempting to overcomplicate your pricing because um, you have lots of customers and to feel pressure to, to focus on short-term short-term revenue goals or to try to respond to every competitor move. So I love what you what you said and how you clarified how a large organization can keep such such focus. And it's also interesting to me that you've brought this forward into your work in a very different space. You know, now you're working, as you mentioned, in, in SaaS, software as a service that you're selling. If Apple is primarily selling to consumers and, you know, now you're working for a company that sells, you know, B2B, business to business, and they sell software as a service, you believe those same principles apply? Yes, I do. And you describe subscription-based pricing paradigm as a value-based consumption model, value-based consumption pricing. Can you explain briefly what that means? Sure. That's not an easy thing to do. It sounds easy to say. First, there are two parts of there. It's value-based. There are different pricing strategies out there. You name it, right? Cost of plus, competitive, value-based, right? So on and so forth. Value-based means what's your focus is not about how much it costs you. It's not about how much your competitor charge about it. It's about what's the value you really bring to your customer. And that's your foundation to start your pricing strategy. And the second part of it is the consumption. Means you want to make sure you provide a very fair pricing for your customer based on their consumption not just based on some other customer's consumption. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So the value-based piece is really about focusing on how you improve your customer's condition. And in subscriptions, you know, I talk about a forever promise. So it's how do you help them achieve an ongoing goal or solve an ongoing problem? 
That's the value. And then the consumption is, I think, whether or not they're actually using it and how much they're using it, which is, you know, I think right now in the world of pricing, there's a lot of debate on this. If you and I both subscribe to Netflix and I watch 20 shows a week and you watch one, should we pay the same price? I'm curious about what you think about that, about the kind of the, the consumption piece in addition to the value-based piece. Yeah, apparently we're not there for all the offers to based on every single customer's consumption. However, what I'm seeing over here is uh, forward-looking. I think we will get there one day. But what we can do right now to drive the direction is we want to make sure we think that keep that keep that in mind for all the pricing practitioners that we want to do the fair mm -hmm. thing for every single customer. It's interesting because people often give me that Netflix example about consumption. Well, some people don't <laughs> use Netflix, but what Netflix does that I think is so fascinating is they really invest pretty heavily in making sure you're using the product. They make it easy mm -hmm. for you to discover new content. They make it easy and encourage you to go across categories. Don't just watch comedies, but maybe also try a documentary or you know a full-length feature film. And I think it's important for people listening to keep in mind both of these things. You want to create a lot of value and you also want to make sure that they're actually getting the value that they're paying for. Yeah, that's why I'm saying pricing is the area where science is married with both the arts and the humanities. Yes, yes. So you told me about an aha moment that you had one afternoon when you were walking <laughs> between buildings um, on Infinite Loop. <laughs> Uh, at the at the uh, you know Apple headquarters, can you share? Bring us back to that moment where you were, what you were doing, and <laughs> and what you what you realized in that day. If I'm not doing pricing, I'm probably becoming a philosopher or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I like to think really deeply on even on pricing, right? Which is my area. On that day, while walking around the Apple campus in the Infinite Loop, I saw a quote from Steve on the wall. Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. Exactly, Steve Jobs. <laughs> yes. His quote said, it's in Apple's DNA that technology alone is not enough. It's technology married with liberal arts, married with humanities, that yields us the results that make our heart sing. Oh. I saw that and went, aha, pricing is the area where the science is married with both the arts and the humanities too. Data-driven is a current buzzword. You hear it a lot in terms of pricing, strategy, and decision-making. No doubt, it's very critical to understand relevant data. That's the foundation. However, data does not ultimately provide an obvious answer, especially concerning pricing strategy which is highly complex. Experience, judgment, and psychology bring the arts and the humanities to complement the science of refining a pricing strategy. That's beautiful. And as an English major myself who studied poetry, I really appreciate that both, you know, you and Steve Jobs value liberal arts as well as the sciences in thinking about these important business questions, whether they're about technology or about pricing. And I really appreciate what you said. And I hope people take this, take this to heart that pricing is as much an art as a science and that the goal is really to connect in a meaningful way with the customer. 
So this show is about subscriptions, but I often say that subscriptions are just a pricing tactic that has to be justified by an underlying forever promise, a, a formal relationship between the customer and the company. You told me that Apple's iPhone is a great example of a forever promise without subscription pricing, which I think is really interesting. Can you share how they build a forever promise without actually charging you on a subscription basis? I can't agree with you more on this, Robbie. The underlying promise with various types of subscriptions is a long-term relationship with a customer. Here's how I look at the iPhone pricing practice. Customers are not asked to subscribe to an iPhone when they buy one. The fact is customers will most likely keep replacing their iPhone every two to three years, just like the renewal in the multi-year subscription model. So the secret of the iPhone model is not to focus on the price point, but rather to guarantee the value of great functionality which customers get out of the iPhone. This is the forever promise rooted in the customer relationship with Apple. Yeah. So Apple customers are long-term customers, even without a visible subscription. Yeah, it's funny. When I first started doing my work on membership, people would say, oh, Apple, I'm a member there. I'm a member of Apple. <laughs> I buy whatever they tell me to buy because it all works together and because I depend on it so much. And I've continued to take that as a really good example of why, you know, even though, of course, I love subscriptions, why the subscription pricing has to follow the value creation and the relationship that's established. Once you have an ongoing relationship with your customer, you can charge on a subscription basis. And if you have an ongoing relationship with your customer, you may not even need to charge on a subscription basis. You can continue as Apple did, to, you know, to charge for the purchase, the outright purchase of the hardware product. So I think that's a really good example. I want to go in a different direction now. You know, you went after Apple, you went to VMware, very different business, leading cloud computing, virtualization software, you know, very tech, very businessy. When you got there, what was that experience like? What was the mandate that you were given? And what did you notice having grown up as a pricing professional at a, you know, a very consumer focused business and then popping in at a B2B software company? VMware endorses enterprise software and the cloud. And before I address the pricing model and pricing related questions, I like to emphasize that VMware has a very sophisticated business model for many reasons. Yeah. Just to highlight a few here, VMware has multiple go-to-market routes, direct, sell to customer directly, two-tier channel, which means uh, has a distributors and also partners. Partners, they are purchased from distributors. Yeah, so that's a lot of different ways of selling and you can already start to see all of the different pricing variations that VMware has to manage and yeah. has to think about. And they have a lot of customers, right? Because the partners are kind of customers and then they have the buyers at the companies and then they have the end users. So yeah, super comp complicated. And when you came in, you said they were already, it was already a pretty sophisticated and complex pricing structure. Yes. And on top of that, VMware also offers very flexible deployment methods and pricing. For example, on-prem subscription, on-prem perpetual, 
SaaS, right, software as a service, and other innovative models. So think about all of that with multiple product lines. Yeah. With all of this, it is extremely important to ensure that pricing is consistent among product lines, pricing models, and the go-to-market. When I was there, one of my focuses was to drive a simplified pricing strategy and also consistent pricing models across different product lines. It's very common that as an organization is successful and expands, pricing gets increasingly complex. So this is a very good example of, I think, what happens to a lot of organizations as a result of their own success, they get this very complicated pricing structure. So how did your philosophy change after your time at VMware? Did it kind of expand or did you put a little asterisk next to simplicity, like keep it as simple as possible, but if you have lots of different kinds of B2B customers, lots of buyers, lots of users, then then you get a little more leeway or did you change your philosophy at all as a result of, of your time at VMware? As a matter of fact, it, it's actually strengthened my philosophy of the power of simplicity because I, you know, I witnessed how important it is to pay a lot of attention not to complicate pricing from the beginning nor over time. That's so important. And the other thing that I learned from my VMware time is in the business-to-business software in the cloud world, it is super critical to collaborate, make a lot of efforts to collaborate with your customers side by side. It was much easier to do so, like, you know, put ourselves into customer shoes in the business-to-consumer products like the iPhone, as we ourselves are the customers too. So how do you do that? How do you bring your customers into the pricing process? You just have to feel your customers are part of your team. Like you, you know, set up a regular uh, cadence to meet with them and talk to them, right? And uh, listen to them. And it's not just after you make the decision. It's before you make the decision. It's when you initiate, you know, initiate a new idea. And you want to have the selected customers uh, by segments, right, to be part of the journey from the beginning. And you, you treat them as just like your regular team, right? That's your best advisor because eventually they are going to be the consumer of your pricing strategy. I think that's very bold and very powerful that you're bringing in your customers as part of your team, as important advisors on the pricing strategy. I mean, a lot of times people bring in the customer and product development or to see if the marketing message is resonating, but to really talk to them and understand their usage as part of your pricing strategy, I think is pretty unusual. Do you see this with your pricing peers at other organizations? Are they equally customer centric? Or do you think this is a trend? I think this is a trend and this is a future. This is a future and collaboration with the customers should be the key for any pricing organization. And that's one of the secrets to be successful. So now you're at GitLab, which is the kind of a third type of business, also software as a service, but a true subscription native company. So no, you know, historical on-prem solutions, no old hardware model, subscription native. So can you talk to me about the, the pricing model at GitLab and kind of the, the overarching philosophy in your work there. 
GitLab advocates a three-tier model, good, better, best. One free tier and two paid tiers, uh, which we call it uh, premium and ultimate. The free is for a single developer, as GitLab is a DevOps application, right? And the premium is for team usage. Ultimate is for a strategic organizational usage. And the customers also have the flexibility to choose between self-managed instance and the GitLab hosted SaaS as a service. What I really like about the way you describe the, the pricing, good, better, best, one free, two paid, and very clear target audiences and use cases for each of those offerings. I have a lot of clients that are just starting out with pricing, and they'll often want to go to a good, better, best model right away without really knowing who they're serving and why would somebody need each one. So I think this is a really good example of knowing why you have each tier and having a clear value proposition and a clear audience and use case for each one of them. Now, I know that recently you removed one of your tiers. Can you talk me through that that story and explain? You know, it's very hard for a lot of companies to remove a pricing option. Usually it's all about adding more and more options. Can you talk me through how you came to make that decision to remove a pricing tier? Sure. And before that, I just want to talk about the free tier a little bit more, you know, yeah, at yeah, GitLab. Please do. Giving a great free product is part of the going to market at GitLab because GitLab wants to be a good steward of the open source product. That's very, very important. And as you said, removing a pricing tier is neither a small or an easy decision. The decision process included four key critical steps. The first step was to decide on pricing strategy, which was to end off availability of the lowest paid tier to drive customer product fit. The lowest pricing tier fulfilled its original goal. And now it actually calls customer, uh, a customer product mismatch. Also, the tier does not meet the hurdle rate that company expects from a tier. And it is limiting GitLab from investing from improved products for all of the customers. So keep going. This is really helpful because you're really breaking it down. So you had, you had these tiers. One of the tiers was not working as well. It didn't seem to fit with the needs of the customers and it wasn't as profitable. That's correct. And then the second step in the decision-making process was very critical too. It was to align on a transition principle. Like what's our central principle to transition customers when we remove a tier? Yeah. So what you're saying is the first thing you did is you said, this tier isn't working. And then the second thing that you did is you said, if we're going to remove it, we have to have a really clear migration plan, a really clear transition plan for all the people that have already subscribed at that level. That's exactly right. And even before that transition plan, what I wanted to strengthen over here is a transition principle. Because there, there could be many, many different ways when you transition customers. Then what's the, you know, what's the most important thing we believe we want to do for this transition? And that's a transition principle. We understood that some customers won't be ready to upgrade immediately. So before we even decide on the details of the transition plan, we aligned on a central transition principle, which is to make sure to offer a customer-friendly pricing policy 
that ensure a smooth experience for oh, our customers. I get it. That's so important. The principle first, and then you say how you do it. There's many choices, but the important thing is it has to be customer friendly. Exactly, and all the plans and the details should be around this principle. Right? We, you know, that's what we've been sticking with. Great. Okay, so that's the second, the second key element. So first, you decided this tier doesn't really make sense anymore. Second thing is, you said, what are the principles about how we're going to transition people off of it? Customer first, customer friendly, and then what came next? The next. Was to determine the legacy pricing policy, the plan itself, how to help customer transition. GitLab gave it a great deal of thought. We conducted thorough research to validate the hypothesis before finalizing all the details of a three-year transition journey. Okay, so three-year transition journey, people. I hope you hear that. It's not. It doesn't always happen quickly, because. There are real people that are dependent on your real subscriptions, and so moving them forward in a customer-friendly way might take a long time. So that that's really a great nugget. And then, and then, what was the fourth piece of this? The fourth one is to determine the communication and the collaboration plan with customers. One and how to notify and engage customers. It's so interesting to me, Zhao He, that you. You really take a very broad view on pricing. You're thinking about customer friendly. You're thinking about customer journey. You're thinking about value creation. Most people, when they think about pricing, I think they think about some analyst looking at the you know the pricing efficient pricing frontiers and pricing elasticity and just looking at the numbers. But you're talking about much more of the you're talking about the product. You're talking about marketing. You're talking about support and customer success. It's really part of a of a very holistic exploration of pricing. It's a very different way, I think, of looking at pricing. It is pricing is a very holistic area. It's a science married with the arts and the humanities. So, people, if you're listening, please keep taking your poetry classes, your history classes, your philosophy <laughs> classes. If you want to do what if you if if you want to do what Zhao He does. Don't just take the science classes. Little pitch here for the the liberal arts path. So, looking back over the years, you've done a lot of different things with pricing, and that was honestly one of the reasons I really wanted to bring you to the show to share some of these principles that kind of hold steady across very different kinds of businesses, and also to understand what's what's different at each of them. Looking back, how would you summarize your pricing philosophy, or how would you describe it? To somebody getting into pricing, if they were asking you for advice, how would you? What would you advise them when thinking about pricing? I really love this question. Three principles that that have been extremely effective for me. Number one, advocate the power of simplicity. Number two, focus on a long-term relationship with the customer. Number three, create mutual benefits. Great. Return over investment for the customer, and excellent profits for the company. <laughs> Do you think competitive pricing should be considered as you're developing your pricing, or should you really and truly innovate your own pricing structure without even worrying about what others are doing? Before I answer that question,、uh, I like to share a little story or a history. <laughs> 
since you mentioned that, I'm a big fan of history and have been inspired by ancient wisdom from both the Eastern world and the Western world. One of my favorite books is by Sun Wu, who is a Chinese military strategist, philosopher, and a writer from about 2,000 years ago. The book is called The Art of War. There is a chapter in it saying that, Translated into English, it means, if you know your enemies and know yourself, you will win a thousand battles without a single loss. If you only know yourself, but not your opponent, you may win or you may lose. If you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will always endanger yourself. And this can be perfectly applied to pricing. You need to understand your competitors' offers and your own offer extremely well to have a pricing strategy to achieve your goal and win the market. On top of that, I highly encourage pricing innovation. Lead with vision instead of simply following others. That's beautiful. That's so important. I want to do the speed round with you before we finish. Is that okay? Sure. Answer the first thing that comes to your head. First subscription you ever had. Ah, Good Kids Magazine. <laughs> good, good, kids was, magazine? Good, good Kids Magazine? Good Kids Magazine. I think that was uh, when I was five, four or five years old. My dad subscribed me Good Kids Magazine. And it has like a really big impact on me. And it, ha- it had a stories. Uh, I still remember one of the stories is about a little pig whose name is Hululu. He's, he's kind, humorous, and funny. And he, I, I took him as one of my best childhood friends very soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so cute. <laughs> um, okay, favorite subscription today? LinkedIn. LinkedIn, me too. Favorite free offering? My fitness pal. <laughs> Ooh, good one. <laughs> uh, my fitness pal. And a time that you really felt like a member, like you belonged to something. That's a great, great question. Uh, I have to say it was back to my Apple time. And as the, you know, the example I give to you on iPhone, because that's truly my feeling about uh, how, I, how I use iPhone, use the Apple product. I didn't subscribe to anything back then, but I felt I was the member. That's a great example and such a powerful one of... They don't even need the subscription, you know, sort of subscription handcuffs to keep people. People want the products and want the products to work together. So that's that's a great example. Thank you so much, Zhaohe, for being my guest today. I feel like we got so many bits of wisdom around pricing as well as much higher level pricing philosophy that any subscription practitioner can keep in mind as they're building their model. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show and sharing all of your expertise. It's been a pleasure to be here today. And thanks for having an episode on subscription pricing and the packaging. 
That was GitLab's Zhao He Li. For more about Zhao He and GitLab, go to gitlab.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as a transcript of my conversation with Zhao He, go to robbiekelmanbaxter.com slash podcast. Also, if you like what you heard, please go over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a review. Mention this episode if you especially enjoyed it. We read all the reviews because we want your feedback. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening to Subscription Stories. Subscription Stories.